0: Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. I hope you kept your place in the Gospel of John. We continue our study of this great gospel of belief, as it has been described. It was written for the express purpose to introduce people to Jesus Christ and by being introduced to come to faith in Him, and by coming to faith in Him, be people who have eternal life. In addition to that, part of the promise of God is that we will have an abundant life in this life. What happens between the moment of salvation and the moment of glorification when we go to be with the Lord through death or if God should bless us, go when the trumpet of the Lord will sound and time will be no more and we'll be taken up to heaven, meet Jesus in the air, that'll be awesome, won't it? Nevertheless, there's a period of time right now. We have a period right now And we know the Word of God says, let us make the most of every opportunity, for the days are evil. And we need to be listening today for the voice of the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Let's pray. Lord, we do not want to presume upon you. We don't want to be nonchalant about what takes place in this place at this time every week. Please protect us from being lulled to sleep by the enemy and help us to have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Jonathan Lancaster is British. He also is one who has been stricken from the womb, actually, with a condition known as treacherous. Called, excuse me, Treacher Collins syndrome, tongue twister for me. And what this means is that he was born with severe disfiguration of his face and his head. People with this condition, their eyelids from the bottom droop and their ears fold over. And in addition to that, typically they are born without any cheekbones. So they're hard for those of us who are not acquainted with that condition to look at. And it's very sad to have that condition. This young man, baby actually, 36 hours after his birth, he was given away by his birth mother and birth father. His parents were married and they said, we cannot even look at him. He is so hideous to us and we will not let our parents see their grandson because of this condition one out of 50,000 people are struck with some degree of this condition he was struck with a greater degree of it he was in that orphanage for two years and there was a lady by the name of Jean who had worked with the orphanage before she had fostered many children and she came and saw him and these were her words spoken through a smiling face. I like his face, she said. I would like to foster him. She was granted that. She had a long standing relationship, as I mentioned, with the orphanage, and she was in good standing with them. And three years passed, and she decided she wanted to legally adopt him as her son. She did. And for the next several years, his life continued to be a life of normalcy for a child his age. Isn't it something that when people move from being like school-aged, as we would say, into adolescence, there's a change in their personalities? It tends to, sometimes, I'm not wanting to stereotype, to bring out the worst in people, and it happened to him. Not in his own soul, but in his contemporaries, when they began to reach their teen years and he went off to junior high school, and he was made fun of mercilessly laid made fun of this young man was they would get a group together and let their pull their eyelids down and come and just look at him and make noises at him and he was just brokenhearted. He began to get depressed, as understandably he would, and he retreated emotionally. And he suffered through all those years the humiliation and the degradation of what was going on. He graduated high school, went to college, had the goal of going and getting his degree in exercise science, and then to buy and start his own fitness gym, but same things happened to him in college that happened in high school. A little more sophistication, but it's hard to sophisticate what people do when they look at people who are different. We need to remember, we who know Jesus Christ need to recall and believe what the Bible says and act on it. When the Bible says, God looks at the inward man, not the outer man like we do. And he sees something in people that he wants us who know Jesus Christ to see also. To see them for who they are based on their being created in the image of God. And we see this in Jesus. He gives us the perfect example of this, of course. In the Gospel of John, the first chapter, when he met Peter. Peter was not known as Peter then, he was Simon the son of John. He said, you are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter, which translated means rock. He saw him not as he was, but as he could be. And the truth be told, that's the way he saw all the apostles. And that's the way Jesus Christ sees you and me. And he chose us to be his followers, those of us who know him. And he wants that number to grow. And He sees us as we are in our heart. But He also has bifocal vision. He sees us as we are intended to become. Aren't you glad that the Lord doesn't give up on us? Aren't you glad that He sees His best in us, for us? And He doesn't leave us to our own devices to figure out how we can reach our potential? He comes to indwell us This passage of Scripture speaks about that. And so, Jonathan Lancaster, he got a job in a very low-ranking kind of profession. It was not illegal or anything like that. But he went there, and it was at nighttime that he would go, at nighttime when he left, and he didn't have to face so much ridicule. One evening one of the other employees who worked with him a lady who was quite a bit older than he, he was 21 at the time this woman was 36 years of age, she was very friendly and she came up to him and said, I'd like to get to know you better why don't we go get something to eat after work some evening, he said, well I'm free on Thursday, Friday and Saturday and any other day that you'd like to go, I'm free to go He'd never been invited out by a working colleague, especially a female, and she was a very attractive woman. They went out, they were friends, and he was encouraged mightily by that. Just that thing being said to him encouraged him greatly. And it gave him sort of a, a new burst of optimism. So he thought, What I'm going to do, I'm going to go through a lawyer and see if I can find my birth parents and see one more time if they might be willing for me to meet them. Hired an attorney, that attorney approached the family, the family hired an attorney, and through their attorney gave this message to him. No way. They didn't want to have anything to do with him whatsoever. Of course, that was another downer for him. But it didn't last as long because he'd had some encouragement from someone who saw something in him that very few people, besides his adoptive mother, Jean, saw. As time unfolded, this young man became more and more willing to believe what other people, a few other people, thought about him and he began to work toward caring for the people. He had the idea, I don't know if it was original with him or someone suggested it to him, that he would reach out to others with Treacher Collins Syndrome and give them encouragement because it takes one who has been in a situation or is in a situation to really understand people who are dealing with that kind of difficulty. And to this day... He has become a multimillionaire. actually. He has been very successful as a motivational speaker, particularly with people who have disfiguring handicaps, and he has a message of hope. I don't know if he's a believer. I did my research when I learned about him, just learned about him this past week. I wanted to do some research to find out if he's a believer in Jesus. It wouldn't surprise me if he is. All I could find is that occasionally he speaks to church groups. That doesn't make him a Christian, does it? But we hope he is. He's acting a lot like Jesus, isn't he? The way in which he cares for other people. What we need to understand is Jesus Christ wants us, who know him, to have his eyes, I'm talking about Jesus' eyes now, and we are people who care about people not for the cover but for what's on inside those persons. And that's what God's calling us to do in this passage of Scripture, beginning with verse 15 of John chapter 14. There are two main ideas that surface in this passage. We'll give a lot of detail to both of them. The first of these ideas is that God Himself is the instigator of love in our lives. He's the one who gives us the power and the direction to be loving. Also, God wants us, without exception, to be people who give the indication of obedience by our love that He gives us direction in. So let's begin with the first concept, that is that God Himself is the instigator of any love in our lives. Let's look at verse 15 of John 14. If you love me... You will keep my commandments. By the way, the word commandments is pluralized, obviously, but I believe that word commandments is encompassed by the great commandment. You remember the great commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And then for good measure, Jesus gave Another aspect of it, and you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And by the way, that last part, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself, that is used in the book of James chapter 2, verse 8. And it is described, interestingly, as the royal law. And the word royal actually translates the words, the law of the king. This is the law of our king, Jesus. We're to treat each other as we would want ourselves to be treated. We are to love them unconditionally. The people in our lives. And that love is transformative. People are changed by love. By kind looks. Kind words. Praying for them. Loving them by serving them in other ways. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's a given we will keep the commandments of the Lord. And the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says this. You know it. We love, why? Because God first loved us. God took the initiative in loving you and loving me. We didn't take the first step in the direction of God. We were running away from God, even if we didn't know it. Because we were running toward the world, thinking the world has that which is able to fulfill us. All the time, the Lord was waiting on us to realize that He is knocking on our heart's door and saying, I died for you. I love you. I want you to be the person who knows love, the love of God. First, that's foundational, isn't it? Until we experience the love of God, we're not suited to really be dispensers of that love. And the good news is that we are able to to dispense the love because of what we read in verse 16 and following. Look at 16. I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper that He may be with you forever. This is a jam-packed verse of Scripture. And I'm going to take it apart and hopefully do justice by what it says. First of all, He says, I will ask. There are two words that are used in the New Testament language. We find them. They're obviously different words. They start with a different letter of the Greek alphabet. One means means to ask from an inferior to a superior. This word that is used here is not that word. The other word is the word of an equal with a equal. Jesus uses the word ask of someone speaking to equal. And who is he asking? He's asking the Father. That tells us Jesus' self-consciousness was, I am equal with God the Father. This got him in trouble with the religious leaders of Israel at the time because they knew to say such a thing, meant that that person was saying, I'm God. And it led them on more than one occasion to try to stone Him to death. Because they said it's blasphemy that He is speaking. But it was not. Why? Because Jesus is God become man. We saw this last week. Jesus alone is the revealer of God to us. Look at verse 7. Quickly reviewing what we saw last week. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know Him and have seen Him. And Philip's there scratching his head. And he's not alone because he uses the plural pronoun. He says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. He was speaking of the other apostles. Less Judas who had gone to betray Him. And it is enough for us. Jesus said unto him, have I been so long with you? And yet you have not come to know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? We have to look no further than the person of Jesus Christ to get a picture of the Father. In the book of Colossians, Paul writes this, Jesus Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. Talking about God the Father. Jesus gives us a concrete picture of who God is. And therefore, when He's saying, I will ask the Father, that seems so innocent, doesn't it? But it carries with it the idea, I as an equal am asking the Father, and He will give you... He knows that what He asks the Father, the Father will give Him because of who Jesus is. He is God too, and He's... God who has submitted Himself during His humanity from the time He was conceived all the way to this time and to the cross. Submitted Himself in His humanity, retaining His divinity. He did that in order to identify fully with us. If He had lived in some ivory tower somewhere while He was here on earth, He could not identify with us. He had to experience every temptation that you and I experienced, and the Bible says, yet without sin. But Jesus, He was one of us, and He was God. And He knew when He asked the Father anything, the Father would answer, because He's asking in His name. And we're going to come across a verse, that we already looked at one in chapter 14, but in 1624, Jesus says this, Until now you've not asked for anything in My name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. That's the kind of connection Jesus has with God the Father. And the Father will give us another helper. Let me stop here just a moment. Don't miss this. The helper is a gift from God the Father. Jesus has petitioned the Father to give the apostles, and by connection with us, all of those who know Christ, another helper. Two words in the New Testament for another. One means another of a different kind. Heteros is the word. It's a prefix for various words in our vocabulary. Another of a different kind. The other word is alas, which means another of the same kind. Jesus uses alas, another of the same kind. He was saying here, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. And this, I'm going to interpret this. Watch carefully. I will give you another helper just like me. That helper will have the same essence, will be the same kind of responder to any situation that you might observe my responding to. He was letting his hearers hear, and the Spirit of God is letting us know this too. They are letting us know that Jesus knew when he was asking the Father, he was asking the Father to send another helper, and look what he goes on to say, that he might be with you forever. Jesus is leaving. This has disturbed the apostles, and rightly so, because they had banked everything on Christ, they'd left everything to follow him. And then he goes on to give further de- designation. He calls this Helper the Spirit of Truth. Another Helper. That in itself tells us that Jesus saw Himself as a Helper. This very word, by the way, is used of Jesus. In 1 John, the same human author of the Gospel of John, in the first epistle of John, what we hear the writers say is, Little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. But if you should sin, we have an advocate that's the same word. In English, advocate and helper are quite different. But in the original language, it's the same word. Parakletos is the word. It's a compound word which means alongside and to call. It's someone who is called alongside someone who needs help. Sometimes it's translated comfort. Help is a simple word, and it covers a multitude of situations. And I happen to agree with scholars who say the word helper in the New American Standard, as it's translated, is the best translation of this word. But what we need to understand is Jesus is saying, He's just like me. I'm your helper, and I help you in a little different way, perhaps, than He does, I'm helping you because I'm your attorney. That's what Advocate conveyed in the New Testament era, among other things. This word had different shades of meaning. I'm your defense attorney so that if you do sin, I will let the Father know that I am standing in court to defend you. Now, I've never been brought to court. There may be a day that I am And I'll need representation if it's available when I get to that point. And I would like to have the son of the judge as my attorney, wouldn't you? Well, here's here's the deal. Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, Holy Spirit, fully God, they have, in effect, a law practice. In heaven, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Whenever I sin, as a believer, whenever I sin, Satan, who lives day and night to accuse people who know Jesus of their sin, got him, got her. The devil makes sure God knows when you and I sin. The good news is that Jesus, according to Hebrews 7.25... He lives to make intercession for us. Day and night we are accused, but Jesus Christ is there at the judgment seat and He's saying to the Father. He's saying, Father, remember who Mike Woods is. He's nothing without you and me, Lord, but He's everything because He is one of ours now. Someone has said that when we sin, and we're accused and Jesus represents us as our defense attorney he doesn't even have to say a word all he has to do is raise his hands and what would the father see as if he needed to know what would be in his vision he would see the scars of Jesus in his hands which represent his death on our behalf what an amazing God we have God the father is the judge God. The Son is our advocate. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, our helper. What a a marvelous God we have. The Spirit of truth. That's worth considering for a moment. That simple saying. What does that mean? Well, It means a lot. Because in John 17, 17, many of you could quote this from heart. Jesus says to the Father, Sanctify them. That means set them apart for your use and your glory. Sanctify them by your truth. Same word that's used here by Jesus when He describes the Spirit as a Spirit of truth. Your Word is truth. The Word of God is used by the Spirit of God to make us more like Christ. To help us to grow. And we need to listen carefully to the Scriptures. This is why we are encouraged regularly to read our Bible. Not to fulfill some kind of religious obligation. To the contrary. It is we are to read the Word of God for fellowship with the one true God. To fellowship with Christ. Jesus wants time with you and me. And He speaks to us now, just as surely as He did before the Scriptures were written that we call the New Testament. He speaks to us. He wants to teach us. He wants to direct us in our walk with Him in this world. The Spirit of truth. The Spirit who produces truth. In the book of 2 Peter, just jot this reference down and I'll read it. It's 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Listen to what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit's role in the Bible's formation. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, that would be a prophet, is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. There are many human authors that are represented in our Bible. None of them was chosen necessarily for their intellect or their ability to write. They were chosen by God to give a message to that they would write down after having spoken it to people or maybe the order was reversed. But God wanted to get people and He found just the right people. And when they wrote down, they weren't put in a trance. A lot of people say, well, they just were put it in a trance and their pen went and they didn't know what they were writing. Not at all. They were people who were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gave direction to them. They might not even have known, most of them didn't probably, that they were writing what we would be using millennia later. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit is another Helper. Just like Christ. And the Holy Spirit is there to encourage us. To come alongside of us. And when Jesus left, the Holy Spirit was going to be with them. Let's read a, read a little further in verse 17. It says, The world cannot receive this Spirit of truth because the world does not behold Him. And notice the usage of the word Him. Does not say it. Now I know most of us at one time or another speaking about Holy Spirit have used the word it for Holy Spirit. Have you ever done that? I don't want a show of hands, but most of us have done that. But please put that thinking to bed today if that's still part of your thinking. Jesus is one who relates to us and we have another helper just like him and Notice the capitalization here of him. The writer knew that he was speaking of God, that Jesus was speaking of God when he spoke of the Holy Spirit. Or know him, but you know him. The world doesn't receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him, why? Because he abides with you. Now, this had not happened. It was going to happen just in a few weeks at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. So He's speaking prophetically here. And will be in you. Wow. Do you know that when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I hope you know this, that He came to live in you? And when He came to live in you, He didn't come there for a little while. What does He say? Jesus said in the last part of 16 that He, that is the Helper, Holy Spirit of God, may be with you how long? Forever. Not just for a while. The Holy Spirit came and went in the Old Testament. Typically, the Holy Spirit was on one person at a time in the Old Testament. But at Pentecost, it introduced a whole new era of people who were under a covenant with God, this time through the Messiah Savior Jesus Christ, and that particular juncture in the history of the church, everyone who receives Christ receives the Holy Spirit. Now, somebody else shake their head. No, no. Well, you're in disagreement with the Bible if that's what you think, because the Bible says, for instance, I could go many places, but Romans eight nine, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, then he is not one who belongs to Christ. What does that say? What does it mean? Exactly the way it's written. And nobody can say Jesus is Lord. This is 1 Corinthians 12. No one can say Jesus is Lord apart from who? The Holy Spirit of God. And in order to be saved, what does the Bible say? If you... Confess with your mouth, Jesus is what? Lord. And believe in your heart. You have eternal life. You've been saved. He's been raised from the dead. We can trust Him. And we confess Him with the help of the Holy Spirit among the things that He helps us with. It's so good to know that our bodies are a temple to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't have full sway in our lives any time I sin, then I'm taking control of my life away from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit works in my heart just like that. Typically, I know I've sinned. And what I want to do is say, Oh Lord God, please forgive me. Help me not to go there again. And He's ready to receive that kind of confession. He says, if we confess our sins, we faithful and just. He is to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's read a little further in this passage. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What's Jesus speaking of here? They were worried, and understandably so, that Jesus is leaving and He may never come back again. He said, where I'm going you can't go. He's talking about going to the cross when He made that statement. But he said, I'm coming back to you. What do you think he's speaking of here? He's speaking of the resurrection. He's coming back. Three days, I've been telling you that, men. I'm coming back. And he says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will behold me no more. What's going to happen and what did happen and from this vantage point in history, what was going to happen? Jesus raised from the dead, but then what was next? He would be with the apostles off and on over a period of time and then He was going to ascend into heaven to pave the way for the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost to indwell the believers there. And then verse 19 He says in the last part, because I live you shall live also. He's talking about eternal life. In that day you shall know that I am in my Father and you and me and I in you. Every member of the Trinity is mentioned here. I'm in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This beautiful picture of the way that the, what we call the Trinity, that's not a word that's even in the Bible, but God in three persons. Same being, same essence. Each member of the Godhead works identically in the same circumstance. They're going to react, respond the same way because they can't do no other. They are God. Each one of them is God. And so, he says in verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Now this comes back to the matter, how do we show our love for the Lord? By obeying Him, don't we? That's it. Isn't it true, parent, that it pleases you when you know your child is obeying you without having been to be told to. Sometimes, I mean, I had this experience as a parent, that my kids, they really didn't want to do what they were doing. But they did it because they knew there would be consequences if they didn't. For us who know the Lord, this is true for us. If we have the commandments of Christ, which we do, the main idea here is loving God with all our being and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we keep those commands, He it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. This is a very important principle. And the principle is this, if I obey the Lord, and it's an expression of love, my obedience is to Him, what will happen is, He will show me more and more of Himself. Has it puzzled you a bit when we've looked at the book of John so far or maybe you've done it on your own before that there's this figure who's sort of mysterious who shows up and he's simply described by the author of the gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved? Have you ever wondered about that? Well, most scholars agree, and I agree with this set of scholars, that He's speaking of himself, the writer is, and the writer is John. Did Jesus love him more than the other eleven? Well, he had a closer relationship to him, didn't he? And why? Because he obeyed the Lord. He lived a life of love toward God showed his love by being obedient to Jesus and to the Lord, the Father, in league with the Holy Spirit. It's been said that Jesus has no favorites among those who follow him. But he does have those who are more intimate with him. And I use the word intimate in the best sense, the most ethical sense of that word and this is what Jesus says he who loves me shall be loved by my father I will love him and will do what? reveal myself to him the way to grow in faith is to keep a clean slate with God when it comes to sin when I know I've sinned I confess it and then God puts it behind him and then I walk closer to the Lord He has my ear. I'm not caught up in trying to play both ends against the middle, straddling the world and straddling the kingdom of God. I'm all in, and the result of that is there's this intimacy that is there available for you and for me. Look at verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot. This is Judas, the son of James, mentioned in Luke 16, one of the apostles said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? He was getting a little panicky here, not just because Jesus is leaving, but because he still was under the mistaken notion that Jesus the Messiah had come to establish an earthly kingdom right then. And he was going to be part of that ruler group in the kingdom. And he just didn't get it yet. Look at Jesus says in verse 23, if anyone loves me, sounds like a broken record, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. It's another way of saying obey me. And my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. And by the way, the word which is translated abode here is the same word that Jesus used in the first part of John 14 when he says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. The word translated dwelling places is the same word translated abode. We will make our abode with Him, with that person. It's wonderful to be part of the same household, isn't it? With the Lord. Verse 24, He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Back up with me just a moment. Jesus is fully God. It's documented throughout the book of John and elsewhere in the Bible. Fully God, but fully human. When He became one of us, He let go of His rights to say what He wanted to say or to do things the way He wanted to do them. He listened to what the Father said, and whatever the Father said, that's what He said. Whatever the Father told Him to do, that's what He did. God Himself instigates our obedience calling us to love as Jesus loved. And the indicator of our, our love for the Lord is our obedience. Let's pause in the moments we have left to think about the way Jesus served. How did He follow Christ, I mean God the Father. How did Christ follow God the Father? He served his apostles. For starters, right? We have a description of that in the 13th chapter when he washed their feet. He sacrificed his life for ours. He also shared his life. He continues to share his life with us. He's in us, remember? Remember? Why do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, you're not your own? Glorify God in your body. The Holy Spirit lives in us. The Spirit of Christ dwells in us. We have that relationship with God in that way. He shares that with us so that we can share Him with others. We are to be men and women who thrive on opportunity to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's an indication that Christ is in you. He's motivating you. That you know what Jesus said about Himself is true for you and me. Jesus says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. This is the Son of God. To serve, not to be served. And if He's in us, doesn't it stand to reason that He would motivate us not to serve ourselves, but to serve other people? Helen Keller, you know the name. Many of you do. She was not born blind, was blinded by a poor application of medicine in her second year. She was 19 months old. Not only did she go blind, she went deaf and she couldn't speak. When she came to be able to understand, it's a miracle, and when she came to understand, she said this, I believe that self-love is the root of all evils. This is a, a deaf and dumb, blind person. That's pretty wise. Only God could reveal that to her. She said about the Bible, she said, of all the books, and I love books, she said, and she was an avid reader, had to read by Braille. She said, my favorite book is the Bible. Her favorite book. And you can see it when you read her story. She was a godly woman and used greatly by the Lord. She was a woman who understood the danger of living for oneself. Self-serving kind of living. And she also makes this statement. She said this. I can't find it, so I'm, hopefully I'll remember exactly what it says. She says, There is great joy in serving other people. That's where her joy came. It's true, isn't it? That's what Christ wants for us as a body of believers. That this church would be known for its being a church which is characterized by serving each other and other believers. And then not limiting ourselves to our body, but concentrating to give a picture to the world which is dying for something that's authentic in humanity. Where there's no division along man-made rules. Where people... Love each other regardless of their socioeconomics. They love each other because they have the common bond of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that is so attractive. It was in the first generation of Christians, it's true in this generation of believers. Sacrifice. How do we sacrifice? The word for love in the New Testament, the common word, agape, is the noun, agapao, is the verb. It means to give yourself unreservedly in service to undeserving other people. Be willing to die to your own self in order that you can serve other people. It's awesome. The Princess Bride. Some of you may know that movie. It's a cult movie, kind of. Not like with a cult, a religious cult, but... You know the main characters, Buttercup, I think Robin Wright played that role, and then Wesley. Wesley, and Buttercup would say to him, I want you to do this, and what would he do? First, he would say something. What did he say? As you wish. And it was not long before she figured it out, and I figured it out, believe it or not, that what she was really he was really saying is i love you command came he did what she asked it was his way of saying i love you when the lord speaks to you and me he wants us to obey and he wants us to obey without debate even when we don't understand it it doesn't matter his ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts than our thoughts. We believe, but most of the time it makes perfectly good sense when He tells us what to do. And when we do that, we are saying, as You wish, Master. As You wish. Let's pray. We ask You now, Lord, to help us to come to grips with the fact that we who know Jesus have Him and you Father and you Holy Spirit indwelling us. How this is so sobering. There seems to be a weight of responsibility with that news. But also it's so liberating. It's not depressing. And to make us as a church a church that is characterized by keeping your commandments in obedience to you, Father, and with consideration to all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, to look beyond the boundaries of our church and be on the lookout and want to meet people who don't know you but in whose life you are working. Help us to love people. Into the body of Christ in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.